The following is a Sports Ethos presentation. Yo, yo, welcome to another edition of Round Ball Ramble. I'm your host, Corbin Ford. You can follow me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. This is, like the intro said, a Sports Ethos presentation. So check out Sports Ethos online, www.sportsethos.com. Pretty cut and dry there. Or on Twitter at Sports Ethos, S-P-O-R-T-S-E-T-H-O-S. Bada bing, bada boom over there. A lot of NBA content. Uh, and not just that. They have ba- baseball now, football. I mean, football now, getting to baseball, um, it's expanding. That's why it's sports ethos. Definitely make sure to get on there and, and see all that has to offer because there definitely is a lot there. Uh, we stick to basketball here, though, on Round Ball Ramble. And I am excited to go into our weekly installment of what's happening around the league. It's part power rankings, part observation episode. Either way, it's always with my friend Anarud. We're pushing it a day later because your boy went to, uh, I was at a little uh, little a venue for the Suns Warriors game. And let me tell you, just being out here in uh, Arizona, the Suns were very much invested in this game, Anarud, and uh, they were very happy with the results. But as I bring you in here, hi, man, how you doing? I'm doing good. Um, I thought we were here to talk about the Knicks starting lineup, but like the <laughs> oh. whole league discussion instead. Oh, <laughs> listen, they will take up a fair share. In fact, we're going to kind of kick off the news with the New York Knicks, uh, who also played last night or two nights ago, by the time I listened to this. Um, they were the opener for the Suns-Warriors game that was much anticipated. Uh, Knicks versus Nets went down to the wire. The Knicks lost a narrow game, um, one in which James Harden found the net again, Um he went off for 20 in the first half, uh, but the Knicks did lose 112 to 110. Uh, Harden and Durant, I mean, they're just nasty, but that's not even what this is about. And it's not about the Knicks losing to the Nets in a good game. It's not about the Nets. Um, it's not about the Knicks playing the Bulls uh, tonight, as y'all listen to this uh, at 530. It's not even uh, about the Knicks or Julius Randle complaining about how when he gets fouled, you know, the refs don't give him the same calls because he's stronger. Like, that's not something that Shaquille O'Neal had to do with his entire career. It's not about any of that. On What we're talking about is about Kemba Walker, who this week was announced was out of the rotation, completely removed by Coach Thibodeau. And now, all of a sudden, it appears that the team may be ready to move on completely from him as well. The Knicks are expected to look to trade Walker prior to the trade deadline in February. That is according to A. Sherrod Blakely of Bleacher Report. That's crazy. Uh, the Knicks literally just signed Walker to a two-year $18 million deal over the offseason. But, you know, it's been a crowded backward spot. Derrick Rose has been playing well. Emmanuel quickly has been trying to make a case to play as well. Alec Burks is in there. And also Walker defensively just isn't the same. But apparently uh, – forget losing a spot like he's gone uh, what do you think about that news and and and, and where he goes from here and I mean it's, it's uh, you just found out about this just now so I'm, I'm I kind of want to get your reaction immediately to that first so I mean Kemba Walker like the Knicks last year their biggest thing was offense right yes defensively they were a solid team I mean their three-point defense was a bit you you could be skeptical uh skeptical of it just because Teams don't really have an, 
effect on how good your opponents can shoot from three. But mm-hmm. in general, you know it's a top row team. They're going to defend. And during the in the Hawks series, they just couldn't score. Derrick Rose was their best player. Julius Randle kind of couldn't hit a shot. And it fell a lot on Derrick Rose. And obviously, Derrick Rose is not at that point yet. So they went in this offseason, brought some more offense by bringing the Celtics' entire backcourt of Kemba and Kevin Fournier. And at the time, it was like, sure, Kemba hasn't looked as good as um, even that first Charlotte or the first uh, Celtics year. Mm-hmm. But for him to be completely out of the rotation is a bit surprising just because this is a team that doesn't really have much offense going for them. Like Alec Burks at the starting for your point, like, sure, he's he's okay, but it feels like Tom Thibodeau's just trying to get anyone who's not a defensive uh, plus out of the lineup. And I get that. I mean, it makes sense. You obviously want to go back to your identity. I think that the Knicks bringing Walker in, like like you had mentioned, you wanted an insertion of offense. You wanted some great shooting. I think that, you know, if you look at the first half of the season, uh, Alfred Payton getting a lot of reps for the Knicks and just how not good that was as a fit, you know, was, it makes sense to have someone like Kemba Walker uh, who, you know, had lost a set clearly in Boston, but still looked very competent, right? And even though he doesn't look very, very good here, he doesn't look good at all uh, defensively. I totally understand that. I still think he brings in shooting. You know what I mean? I still think he's shooting, what, 40% around there for three from three? Like, he's a decent player. At the same time, yeah, there's better opportunities available. I get that. You know, Emmanuel Quickly's been playing well. Derrick Rose, another strong year. That doesn't mean you have to move entirely away from Kemba Walker. Like, it's one thing to say, okay, you know what, right now it's not a rotation. Um, We're going to seek out better opportunities, whatever the case may be. But you're saying that, like, you went from – wanting to bring him along to now feeling that there is no need whatsoever for having Kemba Walker on your roster, that is a quick jump. Yeah, it's just, like, the last thing I remember from Kemba was that bubble series against a rapper where they put a box in one on Kemba Walker just because they, they were scared of him. They were willing to let Tatum and Brown run stuff, but they were going to stop Kemba Walker from scoring. Mm-hmm. And physically, he's not the same player anymore with all the knee issues. But in general, this is a Knicks team that's starved for offense, especially off the dribble creation. And Kemba has always been good at that. Even if he's not hitting shots, he's, he's a good playmaker. He has a solid handle. And it's just – it's weird for him. I don't, under, I don't understand if they benched him or they just said, like, hey, we're going to take you out of the refresh for a little bit, try out some new things. But – to be moving on from him this early, it's not a good sign. And I don't know what you're going to expect to get back because if you're not willing to take him and play him, who will? Well, you know what's funny? I'm glad that you have just led the perfect transition because also according to Blakely, when it comes to a Walker trade, Houston Rockets guard John Wall could be a potential target according to Blakely. Wall hasn't played, obviously, for the Rockets this season. The team has said they wanted to go to a younger direction, which I get up to a point, but they have been looking for trade partners for Wall, who has clearly made it known that he wants to play. So apparently, and I'm just going to read this quote from Blakely, multiple, a quote, start quote, multiple league sources, what's <laughs> a start quote? I am tired. Multiple league sources believe the Knicks will look to trade Walker, whose value on the trade market, much like his production, is at an all-time low. However, league sources believe Walker's value has potential to change as the Knicks get closer to the February 10th trade deadline and teams get more desperate to add a veteran who 
despite his defensive shortcomings, has shown he can still make shots, albeit in a more limited capacity. A source close to the Knicks indicated New York may also have a potential trade partner in the Houston Rockets, who are eager to move John Wall. The trade market for Wall is not existent now, but returning to play may open the eyes of potential trade partners interested in acquiring the five-time All-Star was two years, and get this, don't scream on Rude, $91.7 million left on his four-year, $171 million contract that he signed with the Washington Wizards back in 2017. Like, there's a lot to kind of unpack there, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, like, first of all, why aren't the Rockets playing John Wall? They clearly need a playmaker. Thank you. Thank you. Better and playmaker. Um, Starting I, I, or not. Uh, I, I hate watching them play when they're just chucking shots. Like, they need someone who can run their offense. And DJ Austin, as bad as he is, can at least do something. Um, yeah. But John Wall would be definitely helping them. And, like, I get that you want to keep. John will rest in because you don't you're worried about an injury, but this is a guy that we haven't really seen play that much in two years. Like he played a little bit last year, but even then it wasn't that much. And the longer you just keep him on the shelf, you don't know what to expect from him. So teams, it's like I get that it's mitigating the risk of an injury, but teams don't know what they're expecting to get. Like no one's gonna trade for John Wall thinking that, oh, he can be. I don't know, 50% of what John Wall used to be? Yeah. I, I mean, listen, he wasn't very efficient last year, right? But, like, I thought he did good. I mean, okay, I thought he did good for someone who's missed the last two years of the injury. You know what I mean? He had his moments. He had his burst. Is it full-time, prime Washington John Wall? Of course not. We all know that and get that for certain. But, like, I definitely think he has something to add, especially on a Houston Rockets team that is, like, totally bereft of any offensive continuity. Like, they got nothing. I mean, and that's the downside. I thought it was exciting going in. I will admit, I thought it was exciting to basically go um, and what was the word? Like basically go and run your offense through two young guys in in Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr., two exciting, you know, young players. But at the same time, like they're still, they're not guards. They're still learning how to be, you know, they're still learning how to be offensive initiators outside their own offense and the results have been ugly for everyone so you cannot tell me that John Wall can't help you in some capacity I mean even if he makes your offense I don't know 15% better you know getting guys like Christian Wood um Alperin Shangun uh when he's playing Jalen Green into shots that are easier for them like he can definitely add that to an offense and so I feel like if Wall's not gonna be playing that that kind of like, I don't understand the reasoning for it. But if New York wants them, I mean, I, okay. Let me ask you this. I'm going to throw out these guards to you real quick. You have you have John Wall. You have Derrick Rose. You have Emmanuel Quickly. And you know what? Just for the heck of it, I'm going to throw in Alec Burks. Rank those guys for me. Uh, I know I threw it all quickly, at you. Mm-hmm. John Wall. Alec Burks, maybe? I don't know so, where to put John Wall, but... Yeah, that's what it. I'm saying. Like, it's weird. So, like, if you make the trade, I'm okay with it. If you're going to, like, platoon the two guys together, I mean, I'm talking, like, primarily, like, Wall and Rose is, like, your, they're your two point guards. I feel like Alec Burks is the farthest thing from point guard but can bring the ball up, and then, you know, Manu quickly is more of a scoring guard, right? But, like, if yeah. you're going to play Rose and Wall together, I get it. But if you're going to prioritize one over the other, I feel like they're both kind of in the same area. Like, I'm not sure, like, 
like that one is so demonstrably better than the other being that one has been a solid kind of backup slash starting guard for a bit and one is just getting back from injury and was sitting for the last like how many games yeah i mean the guy they need is Jalen brunson yeah i just <laughs> i just got what you said i don't know i feel like it, it, i'll just kind of put a bow on this as far as a walker and wall swap obviously there's going to be a lot more involved because this that that alone doesn't make any sense wall's contract is just which is so much larger than walkers so obviously you got to put a lot more things in there to make it work financially um you could do a straight one for one um the rockets would likely want several other pieces to get back um you know in a wall trade especially considering that I, I don't know. I feel like the Rockets, I feel like the Knicks would want assets back. I don't know why the Rockets would. I feel like the Knicks would because, hey, we're taking on this money. And last I checked, Houston doesn't really have any other takers for him. But I don't know. I think it's interesting. And it may be just a whole lot of smoke. But, you know, as we get closer, you know, if this is still something we're talking about come January, you know, into February, I really find it hard to think that there isn't a fire there. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Other than that, um, just by news, not a whole lot. The NBA did put penalties on both the Bulls and the Heat for early free agent discussions, um, mostly in regards to the Bulls looking for Lonzo Ball in their pursuit of him and the Heat looking and pursuing um, Kyle Lowry. Uh, the NBA put out the post this morning that says that the NBA announces the Chicago Bulls and the Miami Heat each violated league rules governing the timing of this season's free agency discussions. And the league has directed Here's the heavy punishment that each team's next available second round draft pick be forfeited. These determinations followed investigations into free agency discussions engaged in by the Bulls with respect to Lonzo Ball and by the Heat with respect to Kyle Lowry. So, I mean, they could have went and suspended um, team executives. They could have went and fined them upwards of $10 million. Um, instead, they took away a second round draft pick, which really just screams to me a light slap on the wrist to try to pretend that there is some type of official timing going on uh when it comes to free agency in the nba yeah ever since the bucks and the whole bogdanovich thing i think the league just doesn't know what to do would they should they try to even punish these kind of things because like the heat and the bulls like yeah they're the ones who got caught but it's not like they're the only ones doing it every team is doing this like it's just part of the business at this point if you're not then you're behind everyone else and the league wants to act like they're putting on this big penalty either actually penalize these teams or just stop pretending that it there's some meaning to it yeah exactly there's there's nothing yeah, you said it. there's nothing there you know what i mean like i i just think that if you want to like have some posterity there just admit that it doesn't exist you know what I mean? It's not like the video game where, like, oh, you can't make trades at the trade deadline. Like, they people talk year-round, you know? You're, you're going to tell me that players after a game don't meet up. LeBron James literally holds, like, unofficial free agency summits, apparently, <laughs> like he did, you know, with DeMar DeRozan, with Russell Westbrook. Like, these things happen. And this was happening well before, you know, free agency actually started. I mean, um, Westbrook requested a trade during the draft. Like, like yeah. on draft day, he got dealt. Like, come on now. Don't tell me all of a sudden, like, this just unofficial clock. Oh, now we can begin discussions because, really, if that were the case, then why are we sitting there at 12.01, you know, waiting anxiously for the first couple of um, deals to roll in? Like, oh, 
at 12.01, Honorable calls me, Corbin, I want to offer you four years, 50 million. I just say yes, and it's done. Get out of here. Like, if you want to pretend, you know, stop pretending. That's what I mean. Like, no one's idiots. And the fact that you're doing this and really just slapping on the wrist, like, yeah, second round pick for these two teams at the end of the day, it's just, this isn't, it's, this is not, I don't know. I don't get it. I just don't get it. Yeah, it's just, I feel like the league wants to try to put a punishment just to make it seem like they're doing something, but there's nothing they can do. It's either find them first round pick and actually punish them or just stop. Say that we would like you guys to do this, but stop acting like it's a big surprise that teams are going to circumvent the rules like people do all the time anything to get a competitive advantage like we can say like even even if they move the deadline back a week or something it's not going to change anything no it really isn't keep doing the same thing like moving the draft um after free agency it's like it's still not going to change the type of deals they're going to make they're still going to talk exactly Exactly. I mean, it's just, just a weird situation. it's weird and it shouldn't exist in my mind. Like, forget it. Like, drop it. That it's, I don't, I don't even understand what you have to lose by that. Like, yeah. So what they're talking, like, we know they're talking regardless, whether or not you want to close your eyes and pretend they aren't. I mean, that doesn't mean anything. So yeah, I'm with you probably spend more time on this than we even should have to begin with, but this was news. And I thought that I, I just, ugh, I was annoyed. I was annoyed by it. I figured like, why are we even pretending that these things are a thing. But yeah, here we are. So anywho, um, aside from that, I can kind of say, let's get into uh, the main event here. We've had, uh, what, two weeks? I feel, yeah, two weeks now to kind of look at some teams, uh, evaluate, you know, players. And again, another week in the NBA, another rise, another fall. Uh, let's talk about the teams we've liked and what we haven't liked. And I guess we have to start with just the, the obligatory Dallas Maverick uh, state of the Mavs uh, addressed by Anarud here. So, here is a perfect summary of the season. Uh, they got blown out by Cleveland. Yep. Like, really badly. And gave a career high to Jared Allen. Then the next game against the Pelicans, they shoot a franchise record 68.7% field goal percentage in a blowout win against the Pelicans. Um, since 19... 19- or in NBA history, a team has shot 68% or better just 17 times. And this is the highest since 1998. So the Mavs, the story wow. of the Mavs is if you can hit an open shot, congratulations, the Mavs are going to win the game. Otherwise, the Mavs are going to lose. But that's honestly kind of it. Like, wow. As I much mean- as I want to say that, oh, kid is messing up or anything, it's like, no, it's just if Tim Hardaway, Reggie Bullock, and all these other Bull players can hit their threes. Mavs are going to be fine. Otherwise, this team sucks. Which is crazy. Okay, so what do you, at this point, where is the fault? Do you put it at the feet of the front office for the way that they assembled or did not assemble this team? Obviously, don't put up Chris House for Zingas. He's had his best years in Maverick. I think that's just objectively uh, a fact. Uh, Do you put out the coaching of Jason Kidd and his endless uh, positivity uh, in the face of, I don't know, evidence? Are you looking at Luka Doncic? Just really quickly. Jason Quit Kids quote out Moses Brown was the greatest thing I've ever heard. Um, in case Relay it to it, us, yeah. <laughs> so after, so Mass Twitter has been clamoring for 
Moses Brown to start. Just he's become one of the fan favorites. The new young big, mentored by Tyson Chandler. Mavs fans love him, and he's a great guy. So Mavs been Mavs fans have been clamoring for him to start, especially since uh, Dwight Powell and Willie Colley Stein are not good starting bigs. Mm-hmm. So finally gets an opportunity, and he gets destroyed by Jared Allen. And at the at the end of the game, during the press conference, Jason Kidd says, Moses Brown, he was a plus two tonight. We're going to talk <laughs> about the positives today. <laughs> and, yeah, that's, that's about Jason Kidd. That's all he does. He's talking about the positives. And to be honest, I'm kind of impressed just because if you're talking about all the positives now and not really, like, yelling at these players, at least calling them out in public, I'm, I'm happy. It, it's somewhat consistent. And hopefully when things turn around, uh, it will stay the same. You know what? I mean, listen, I, I will say I do appreciate Kid at least trying to be optimistic, especially when you look at the fact that, you know, in previous stops, he's kind of been derided for being the opposite of that, you know, more of a, a, a locker room type of lawyer, someone who does kind of badmouth the players and kind of has that rep. So the fact that he's saying, you know what, whole new leaf, like, yeah, you know, old Tiger can change his skin or I don't think that's the analogy. Point being, the fact that he's trying is, is dope. I definitely think. Yeah. That that's pretty cool. Um, what's so not to cool, ask uh, your question, yeah, I was about to say, yeah, where do I lay the ball? So to be honest, like, if I was going to blame anyone, it would be the management. But really, it would be the management for a couple of years ago. It wouldn't be now because I think in the last couple of years they made the right moves. It's just hasn't fallen out. So like fundamentally, I think the biggest problem with the Mavericks is that they didn't tank for long enough. That's honestly it. You said they um, didn't tank long enough. Yeah. So okay. after the Dirk years, especially late in his career, yeah, um, they really had only one year or two years not in the playoffs, 2017 and 2018. 2017, they drafted Dennis Smith Jr. That was uh-huh. bust. Um, 2018, great draft, Luka Doncic and Jalen Brunson. Luka Doncic is too good, and you're not – you can't take anymore. So – you're not able to build up these assets because you don't have enough time. So all these deals you can make, you can only make them on the margins. And unfortunately, once you make a Porzingis deal, there's not much you can do. It just takes up so much of your cap space. The extension, I mean, it's bad, but to be honest, like I can't blame them too much just because someone else was going to do it anyways. Um, And if you look at the deals they made, like, Sure, they haven't hit any like super big moves, but it's not like there were many to be made. So, like if you look at this year, okay, Kyle Lowry, they didn't get Kyle Lowry. Okay, but Kyle Lowry went to the Miami Heat. Of course, he's going to go to Miami over Dallas. Yeah. And I don't think he's he'd the be next make this best team. person to go after. Um, and, what, DeRozan. I mean, DeRozan. I would like sure, DeRozan there. I I would have some questions, but I think it would be okay here. But in general, like. A lot of these moves that like fans might be clamoring for, it's not like they're realistic in a sense because Dallas just isn't the best team to take them. You have Miami and you have all these other contenders who are willing to t- pay more to get these guys, and Dallas doesn't really have the assets. So if you look at the roster, like all the guys that they, all the role players are kind of home built. Dorian Finney-Smith, Maxi Kleba, Jalen Brunson, these are all the guys that they've drafted and developed, and. The best way to build around Luka Doncic is put shooters around him. 
And that's what they've been trying to do. The Josh Richardson mis- was a trade was a mistake, but it was understandable at the time. You want to, you came off of having the best offense and you realized, okay, your defense wasn't good enough. Let's trade one of our defensively weaker players who's a good shooter and Seth Curry for someone who's a solid defender and potentially could be an okay shooter. Unfortunately, Josh Richardson couldn't shoot. So that move turned out to be a bust. This year, they go after Reggie Bullock, who's a good shooter. Unfortunately, Reggie Bullock isn't hitting a single shot until today. So (laughs) you can't really blame them because everything would tell you that, hey, a career like 39% three-point shooter should be a solid guy, especially one that can play defense in the wing. Let me interrupt you one time here because as a Laker fan, uh, we made the trade for Reggie Bullock and uh, it didn't work out. So I know. You look at the numbers and it's like, hey, he should be so much better. And then he's on your team and it's like, oh, unless you're the Knicks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just. Uh... <laughs> but no, but like, that's kind of the story of the Mavs this year is that like a lot of their guys, they're like 26th right now, three point percentage. Mm-hmm. And it's not Luca, like Luca's shirt. He's in the Luca of the last couple of years where he's like this prime driving force, but he's still an all star level player and a, at least third team all NBA level player right now. So even if he's not like in his perfect prime self mm-hmm. the team should be winning games and the, it's just when guys aren't able to hit their shots and Porzingis has been solid this year like you you can't really ask for too much more he's been doing everything great he's been scoring he's been defending at the rim it's just that unfortunately until the role players can hit their shots this team's offense will just be Luca drive in and Hope he scores because if he kicks it out, no one is scoring. Yeah, that's true. I hate that Luca. It, it feels very much like he has like, and I, I think the Mavericks have done a better job. So then, then with the team I'm about to compare uh, Luca to, but he feels like LeBron, like those mid two thousands caps. Actually, I'm gonna say late two thousands caps because those teams made moves like the early two thousands. I want to say from like when LeBron was drafted in 03 to like oh seven. I don't feel like enough was done, but like from. 2007, 2010, or 2008, 2010, I think the moves were made. They just weren't too, too, like, too little and not enough. You know what I mean? But, like, they attempted to make some. I think that's what Dallas is here with Luca. Like, Luca's good, but I don't know he's at a level to, I mean, he's obviously at a level to raise uh, a group of guys who are subpar um, at a certain capacity, but, like, I don't think he's totally good to, like, like they're not making the finals. Like, that's not what's going to happen. And this roster, while moves were made, like, more could have been done. Even if more couldn't be done in a vacuum this offseason, like, this is the groundwork of, what, two years? Like, if you're able to get Luca right now to the point he got off the veteran extension, like, or his, his max extension, rookie extension, then, like, you've got a couple of years with him at the helm. And you're saying that if you look at the team that you had assembled beforehand to now, they haven't made, like, aside from the Porzingis trade, significantly substantial moves to kind of move the needle in that in the positive direction. Uh, and I'm saying this as an outsider, so please like correct me if I'm wrong, but that's just how I'm looking at it. No, you're, you're absolutely right. It's just, I don't know what that move would be to be honest, because like, sure. I could say like they should have gone after Lonzo ball. Uh, Lonzo wasn't going to get paid the same here that he would be paid in Chicago. Fair. Um, that's one. Also, he was cited traded. Dallas doesn't have the access to send to New Orleans to get Lonzo. Um, same thing with DeRozan. They couldn't send that many assets to 
San Antonio. So like a lot of their guys that you would consider assets on the Mavs are like Jalen Brunson, Maxi Cleva, Dorian Finney Smith, and maybe Tim Hardaway for the right team. But that's kind of your asset pool. So you don't really have an ability to make any moves that in terms of like actual like franchise changing moves, you just kind of have to make moves on the margins and hope you get better throughout the year, which I think in fairness to them, they have. Like mm-hmm. since 2019, they have been a better team, even though the result was the same. I would say that they were a better team last year than they were two years ago in the bubble. Um, they just happened to go against a title favorite in the first round. And this year, this past year, they took it to game seven. And it took Kawhi having like one of the greatest series I've ever seen to take them down. So I can't fault them too much. And with Jason Kidd, it's like, I can't say too much of it is, is his fault yet because there's not much he can do about people missing open shots. That's so shotquality.com um, tries to measure like what is the general shot quality that your team's offense will generate and based on like who is taking what shots. So like a Luka Doncic step back three is better than a Tim Hardaway step back three, for instance. And a Chris Paul mid-ranger is better than a Emmanuel Kickley mid-ranger. So it takes all that into account. And the Mavs still have one of the best offenses in terms of that. They're generating the right looks, so I can't fault Kid for that. Yeah, they, if they just happen to miss these looks, so hopefully this team will end up hitting a bunch more shots. And it looks like they're trending in that direction over the mm-hmm. last couple of games, especially compared to like the first two weeks of the season. But yeah, this team is just kind of have to wait and see. Yeah, which is unfortunate for a team that I I, I don't think you looked at them to contend for a championship, but like. Maybe got the first round for the first time in what a couple of years now, right? And to be fair, they're still good. They're like the four seed right now, and yeah, if they're not playing the Clippers with Kawhi, I, I think they have a shot. <laughs> that is um, true. Yeah, if they get like the Blazers. But or then again, I like I think there's I, there's three teams in the West that I think have separated themselves from everyone: the Warriors, the Suns, and the Jazz. Everyone else is kind of. Whoa, you, low, low, low right now. you separated the Jazz too? I did. I have not. In fact, okay, let's use that as like a jumping point to kind of go into other teams then because I look at the Jazz and I look at them as a team that's gotten better, but I feel like, yes, they're in the upper echelon. Like, yes, they are there among the Warriors and the Suns, but I have them like a clear like slot below. I, I just don't see that team. Like, they have some games where, you know, they look back to the dominant team that they are you know where you got shooting from all over and great defense and the bench depth is there you know and then you have games where you know you're struggling to the thunder and you lose a game to the pelicans and yeah you go back and beat the pelicans and a and a toothless blazers team but like you've also had a bunch of like letdown games as well you know here and there um kind of scattered around like they're i mean I, i'm not trying to say this to be like totally negative on them as the jazz stand right now they're currently third in the West, you know, that checks out where they are. But I just feel like, I don't know, maybe I'm more negative on them, but I, I feel like they had a, what, a meltdown last week where they were talking about, okay, we still, we're still making the same mistakes that we've done in years past, you know, getting just shot happy, not keeping our defensive principles and then letting teams get off easy. But like maybe them splitting, um, 
you know, maybe splitting those games against the Pelicans was a turning point for them. I don't know. But Donovan Mitchell just last week said, we're just not playing well. I'm not playing well. We're just not. It doesn't look good. And then he says, I mean, y'all see, it doesn't look good and it doesn't feel good. So, like, I, I take that. If the players are saying they're letting games slip away, the Warriors aren't letting games slip away. The Suns aren't doing that either. They're taking care of business regardless of who's playing, regardless of their home or away, regardless of who they have that's injured. And the Jazz just aren't doing that yet. Yeah, so here's my thing about the Jazz. I think yeah. really that top tier should be broken into two where it's Golden State and Phoenix and then Utah step below. Yeah. I just I, think those three are a step above Dallas and everyone else. Oh, I see what play. you mean. I'm sorry. I missed control. Um, yeah, that makes perfect no, sense. That's fine. Like, my problem with Utah is I think in a playoffs, they're less resilient compared to the other teams. Like, they have a lot more – like, if you look at Phoenix and Golden State, they have a lot more options to throw at you. Mm-hmm. And the Jazz, it's kind of like the same – they really have one thing, which is just pick and roll and either hit threes or feed it to go bear for an alley But that's kind of their entire offense. They don't really have a – secondary option they can go to whereas phoenix i mean you have two elite shot creators and chris ball and devin booker they have a solid offense which isn't just pick and rolls it's constantly off ball movement and cutting and they have a big that has at least some offensive game to him so and they have like small ball options they can go to they can put Jay Crowder at the five, or if Sarich was healthy, they can put Sarich at the five. Mm-hmm. And they can do different things that I feel like the Jazz just can't do. And the Warriors are the old example of this. They put Draymond at the five. They're terrorizing teams. Yeah. And I don't think any team has an answer for Steph Curry. The Suns came close. The Suns came closest. Um, they can really get Michigan, yeah. man. And if you look at like how many perimeter defenders and the length that they have, not many teams have that. So the Warriors are like the ultimate example of like playoff resilience, resiliency, and the Jazz are like the worst at it because they don't really have another option. And I don't think that there's a way for them to get there soon because, unfortunately, I don't think Donovan Mitchell is the kind of guy yet that could elevate them to another level. And Rudy Gobert, for as good as he is, is still limited. Exactly. And that's where I stand on, on Utah entirely. I mean, I like them. I definitely think that the moves to bring in both Hassan Whiteside and Rudy Gay, especially Rudy Gay, were really good moves to give some punch to a bench that, you know, was kind of lackluster, um, especially in last year's postseason um, outside of Jordan Clarkson. But at the same time, until they rectify the same issues they run into, I have no reason to believe that they're going to be any different, um, especially when the Suns and Warriors are playing so much better. And speaking of what you said about the Warriors, I mean, that match against the Suns, uh, yes, uh, two days ago, the Suns won 104-96, and they did an amazing job pestering Steph Curry. I mean, because they have guys, you know, Devin Booker left early in the first half with a hamstring injury and will be out uh, for, uh, well, tonight's game against the Pistons. But you also had, um, of course, Mikel Bridges make an impact block a shot, you know, just hound to make things tough. Chris Paul getting in there, you know, uh, you like you said, guys that come in like Jay Crowder, guy, everyone can take a run at him for enough possessions, and they hounded him into a 4-for-21 performance. 3-of-14 from 3, just 12 points. He struggled to get all of it. Only got to the free throw line literally once. Uh, I think it was for a technical for that. Like, if it wasn't for guys like uh, Jordan Poole at 28 and Otto Porter at 16, they would have lost by so much more. But even in 
that example, and now both the Warriors and Suns are 18 and three, I think that shows the, the, the positive um, improvement that the Warriors have made. Because I said that, if you had told me last year or any other year before that Steph Curry would be hung on a four for 21 game, three or 14, I would have said the Warriors lost by like 15, wouldn't you? Yeah, of course. Of course, but you've had guys like Jordan Poole step up in a major way. You had guys like Otto Porter off the bench with 16. Um, Andrew Wiggins you know, didn't play super well, but he gave you 10. Um, like other guys are chipping in in ways that obviously weren't enough for the win, but were just non-existent from as far back as 2019, 2020. Yeah, and I think the Warriors, like despite this loss, they still have to be considered like the title favorites right now, um, them and the Suns at least. But you can see there's like without Clay, there's still a little bit of weakness because you can still cheat off of a couple of guys and just be in the lane and try to get into passing lanes and stuff. Like I think the guy that would really impress me in this game was Aiden, just because Curry would get switched onto him and Aiden would do a really good job of just being on Curry and sticking with him throughout the drives and being able to contest some of his threes. Like he blocked one of Steph Curry's threes. I don't remember when the last time I saw Steph getting blocked by a center one. Yep, yep. Aiden was such a factor. Aiden was such – you said it. Like, and that was – I mean, my pops, we were talking about this, and he said that Aiden would be the X factor. I'm sure a lot of people were wondering, how is he going to play, you know, against the Warriors' small lineup? Will the Suns try to force-feed it? Will he be um, enough of a, of a turn around the rim and a force just around the basket? And, and you said it, a big double-double, 24 and 11. Like you said, a block of a Steph Curry shot, one of two blocks he had on the day, a steal as well. The guy's hands were amazing. Countless um, offensive rebounds, six to be exact, so almost split in half to keep Suns' possessions alive. He just did a very good job for them. And, I mean, he was too quick for Looney. He was too big for uh, Green. He was a monster. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing the Suns did was just kind of speed up the Warriors, like, I think they had, what was it, 26 turnovers? Yeah, they were hounded into quite a few. Let me look at that turnover number here live. Uh, 22, but close, yeah. 22, okay. So, yeah, like, um, I remember there was a there was a part I saw, like, a little segment where Watchos Gunnar Anderson had, like, five turnovers. He did. Right after each other. <laughs> he and did have five the turnovers Suns on the night. just, like, hounding them. Huh? And that's just kind of this team. They were – they're uh, defensively, they're solid and they're really smart. And like it's, they have Crowder and Chris Ball, who are like these savvy veterans, but it's their young guys too. Mikhail Bridges, DeAndre, we're all really good deep defenders. And uh, there was a, one sequence where uh, Curry drives on Aiden, passes it back to uh, uh, Draymond Green, who posts up Mikhail Bridges, and Bridges is just longer and he just blocks it. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of thing that, like, this team is versatile and they have solid defenders. But also the Warriors were defending pretty well, too. This was just – it was a grinded-out game, and the Suns ended up winning. Wow. I mean, it was a really solid performance. I, I got to say, I totally I, – I, I enjoyed this game thoroughly. Um, I thought that you had a lot in there in terms of how the Suns adjusted without having – uh, the services that have Booker, you know, how the Warriors were able to spring shots open for Otto Porter as well and others. And like you said, it was a lot going on there that was really, really good. So I'm totally with you there. But um, yeah, I guess going from there, let's kind of go down. I mean, you want to jump over to the East, want to keep going the West. 
what's what's been keeping your uh what's been keeping your um what's been getting your attention rather okay so the bulls here's the thing they're the lockdown brothers they i need to come up with some name for alonzo ball and alex Caruso. but you were saying that i couldn't find one you said that i couldn't think of a name but those two like whatever the defensive version of splash brothers is it's those two they're so good on defense. There was a game against the Magic, and they're just hounding them constantly. And I remember um, early on, like, I was thinking about the Bulls, like, how good can their defense be? Because we knew their perimeter defense was going to be good, but a lot of it was about the interior. But there are a lot of plays where they'll get switched. Alonzo and Cruz will get switched on fake guys, and they'll hold their own. And Caruso, his version of rim protection is just taking a bunch of charges, which he does very well. And Lonzo has the length to at least contest some shots in the, in the paint. And those two, like, especially converting defense to offensive transition, yeah. that team is one of the best at it. And watching the Bulls just for Lonzo Caruso is a, is a blast. Hmm? Just watching the Bulls. Only for those two is amazing. Oh, yeah. No, the defense for those guys, like you said, they were clearly – I think that DeRozan has to – he makes the case for me in terms of, like, their most impactful addition. But the way that they communicate, the way they operate – I mean, these are Laker legends, honor. Like, let's not forget, okay? The 2017, 20, 2016, 2017, and 2017, 20 – or 2017, 2018 Lakers, like, these were our backbone. Well, I'm just kidding about that. But the point being is that – they know how to use their length, their athleticism. They have that defensive IQ that's just on 11 on a scale of 1 to 10. They can wreak havoc on guards. They can do it to forwards. They can even frustrate some bigs just knowing how to get there and swarming around. Um, it doesn't hurt that they're both competent offensively. And I'm telling you, Chicago, I was already kind of high on them to begin with. as like a team that I thought that would be intriguing because you do bring in these to get defensive guys, like you said, in Caruso and ball, the lockdown brothers. I'm going to call them that for now. Um, but you do have the lockdown brothers. You do have the intriguing offensive fit of a DeMar DeRozan alongside Zach Levine and how that works with DeMar DeRozan, you know, becoming more and more of a, of a he's a four. He's played 6% of his minutes at, at the, at the center position, but he's also a point guard from like what he learned in San Antonio, um, just kind of, heightening and, and enhancing those uh, distribution skills, playing alongside a supreme scorer in Zach Levine, who's still playing, by the way, with torn ligaments in his hand. Like, this team is great, and they're and they, of course, suffered the injury to Patrick Williams, and they, of course, had Nikola Vucevic out for a bit, but he's finding his stride. You bring in Kobe White. You're playing small, switchy lineups that have actually done damage, like, against opposing teams. Like, the Bulls right now are sitting pretty at third in the East. Uh, they are just coming to the mid-range and doing a very good job at it. They have the Knicks uh, tonight at 5.30. Then they have a fun – well, that game's going to be fun already. But then they have on Saturday a game against Brooklyn. And then Denver, Cleveland, Miami. I mean, they're always playing like a fun game. And the way that they play is is really cool, even for a team that has more of a kind of retro uh, shot chart. Yeah, for sure. And their defense has fallen a bit off, like – in the last two weeks, according to Cleveland Blast, they were the 15th ranked defense. And before that, they were like the ninth and the eighth. So it might be coming down to earth a bit, but still, this is a solid team. I just don't know about it. Can they win a title just because they don't have that number one guy? But it's a solid team and they play well. Billy Donovan's been 
doing really well as a coach. And I think he has to be up there for coach of the year. Yeah, no, he most certainly does. In fact, he's one of my, my kind of favorites. I got to reevaluate my list because I had Lakers sweeping everything and I am vastly just drastically changing all of that. So we'll get to that another time. But uh, this is actually tweeted out from the Chicago Bulls and I think it's really cool. Um, Zach and Damar in November is uh, Levine average 25.3 points. 5.2 rebounds and 3.4 assists on 48% shooting, 48.93% exact. While DeMar um, averaged 26.8 points, 5.1 rebounds, and 4.1 assists on 50.5% shooting. So both those guys doing damage. They are keying the offense. You have the lockdown brothers keying the defense. You have other role players making timely contributions. And you have a solid team that I expect now to make a deep run in the, in the playoffs. Yeah, they're going to be a playoff team for sure. And they, they could make some damage. They, they get the right opponent. They could wreak havoc. But, yeah, Chicago, the, the NBA is in a weird place right now. Yeah. You got the Timberwolves playing well. You got Cleveland being a solid team. It's it's a weird place. It is. And speaking of that, let's, let's talk about Cleveland real quick. They've had Evan Mobley back for a couple of games. They've been playing dominant. They totally uh, just – they, 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 they beat your team. <laughs> I'm kidding. But, like, they've been playing well. Ricky Rubio's been a solid, confident shooter and scorer. You've had, of course, Darius Garland just play like a point guard. I've been uh, hoping that he would be. He's been great. Evan Mobley keying um, the defense alongside Jared Allen. Like, other guys have stepped up in major ways. Kevin Love with the blast from the past six three-pointers uh, last night in a, in, a, in a win for them. So what do you think about the Cleveland Cavaliers and just – how they've been because I'm not gonna lie, like I didn't know if they were legit. Um, but I mean they blew past the Heat 111 to 85. Uh right now they're actually six in the East at 12 and 10. Uh and yeah, they have some fun challenges against the the Wizards and the and the Jazz coming up ahead. But like they've been in most games. Yeah, so right now they have the 22nd ranked offense and the fifth best defense in the league. Um and over the last two weeks, it's 15th best offense and third best defense. So this is a team that's built on defense. And Evan Mobley and Jared Allen are the center of it. Two giant dudes. Mobley is a lot better at moving around the perimeter, but Jared Allen's not too bad at that. And those two just suffocate the rim. And um, you saw it in the Dallas game a lot. Um, Luka would just drive in, and there'd be like three seven-footers in the lane just pounding him. And unless you can hit open shots against them, you're not going to score in the paint. And the other thing that, like, I haven't watched too much of Jared Allen before this other than, like, Brooklyn, mm-hmm. but he's developing a really nice post game where at least, like, he's becoming a solid option for them. They'll throw it down to him down low against bigger guys too, and he he has a nice bag. He'll go to a hook shot, he'll take a couple jab steps, go to a fadeaway. He's just been solid. Yeah, he. I mean, he's someone that is kind of adding more. I think, and and when I first, when he first got that contract, I was not a fan. Um, like but I that's thought that still was not a fan of the contract, but it's becoming more defensible. Well, that's that's exactly what I was gonna say. Like, I think there's a better chance now of him like not living up to completely, but not making it so that I gotta like blink my eyes when I say it. I mean, yes, yeah, a lot of money, regardless, but um it's still something that now with his expanded skill set i see more of okay this is why one team still being on the extreme side would present such a contract to him. yeah for sure yeah um I, I just i what do you think about ricky rubio he's been playing 
really, really well. And I, I hate that he had to bounce around teams. You know, he was really doing a good thing for Phoenix and then going from them, um, of course, then to Minnesota and then out of Cleveland. It's like, wow, he's not really going to get a chance on like a solid winning team. But uh, who, who knew that that team would be Cleveland? And all it took was Colin Sexton being out of the lineup for him True. to just jump up. But hey, Mercury Rubio, we've like known what he is. He's been a solid point guard. It's just questions were always about his scoring. And this year, like he's shooting a little better, but a lot of it's just being a better presence and being a good defender. Like this is a team that's not winning by offense. They're winning by dominating on defense. And he's part of that. Yeah, no, he definitely is. And he's been a much more confident shooter as well. And, like, Ricky Rubio's outside shot. I mean, he came into the league um, and he's like, oh, if he gets a shot, you know, with his playmaking and his defense, he'll be there. And he's had some years that it almost felt like, oh, my goodness, maybe we'll see it. But, I mean, the dude is a career 32% three-point shooter. So we've seen that that's not the case. But this year, shooting 36% from three, and he's taking easily the most attempts of his career, 5.7 threes a night at a 36% clip. Uh, and if he continues this at this pace in his age 31 season, this is his career high in points per game as well, 14. Yeah, Ricky, Ricky Rubio is trying to get his place up in 2012 redrafts, <laughs> 2009 redrafts. Uh, he's trying to take Harden's place right now. He won't be able to pass Johnny Flynn. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> But he definitely is making a move, and it's really cool to see that, Um, especially, you know, maybe he's getting that Jason Kidd type deal where he gets better from three as he starts to age. Uh, Although he's been, I would say, what, his last three years? Well, no, he had dipped. He shot 36% um, over 65 games of Phoenix. That went all the way down to just 30% um, in Minnesota, and now it's back up to 36% with Phoenix. And that 36% he had in in, uh, previously, in fact, they're the same. 36% 36% has been his career high just in general. So he's matching that right now um, on almost three more three-pointers attempted per game than he did with Phoenix. So that's really kind of cool. But yeah, aside from that, let's, I mean, let's kind of jump. What, what next team are you interested in? I want to keep us moving there. Uh, do you want to just quickly go over Brooklyn and what's going on? Yeah, I was going to say, let's go to the New York team, so I'm glad you asked. But, like, yeah, diagnosing it, what do you think is the issue with the Nets? Because I think right now, I mean, if you look at it, you have you have um, I, I concerns about the big man rotation. I mean, you've had Blake Griffin, but he was obviously something. So you bring in LaMarcus Aldridge, who, like, on a switch is just horrific. But offensively has brought in a whole lot of pop. Like, the dude came out of retirement averaging, like, 16 a game, right? Um, you've had James Harden, his struggles. Shooting, like, 80% on <laughs> mid-rangers for, like, two weeks. Dude, that's his shot, man. That's his shot. No, mind you, wasn't that efficient from it, but, like, that's his bread and butter. Like, if he goes to Hall of Fame, which, I mean, uh, that's another story for another day, and maybe it's not even that quick a discussion, or maybe it's not even that small of a dis- or that long of a discussion. But the bottom line is that mid-range J is, is up there. That's like a, a go-to, literally signature shot for him. And he has a middle. Coming uh, a go-to score for that. Like, when would you have thought that in the last couple of years? Like, they're giving him the ball, and he's getting buckets for them. And a lot of it just has to do with Harden hasn't really been himself. Like, he's been better in these last couple of games, but he's still not James Harden. No, he's not. And I mean, if you look at the numbers on his head, 21 points, eight rebounds, nine assists. Like, that's really good for most players in this league, right? 
It's just a down year for Harden, which says a lot to the heights with which he played and the level with which he's raised. You know, he's shooting 36% from three. That would actually be, uh, what, tied for his highest clip in the last three seasons, you know? It's so turnover. I was about to get to that. Like, yeah, but when you look at his turnovers, you see that he's also um, – this would be well, not a career high. He's actually had more um, back in the 2016-2017 season. He averaged 5.7 a game. But, like, this is up there, and it's the most he's had in five years, you know? Um, you look at the fact that he's had some great games where he's come through for Durant, who's just been amazing, and there's been other games where he can't get anything going. So, like, he's just been very inconsistent. And then his, to me, like, okay, fine. You know, players have slumps. I get it. Like shots go in, shots don't. But I think for me, the most concerning thing has been that, like, when you hear him talk, like he said, Hey, like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I don't know when to shoot, when to pass. Like, like, dude, you were a one man offense for years. Like, I don't like that. Is that, is that just, you're saying that because you like miss Kyrie and his impact. Are you saying that? Because, like, where is this coming from? I guess that's what I'm curious about. Yeah, it's just, it's been off. And, I mean, the rule changes have a part for it, but I can't say that they're everything. Like, in general, he just doesn't look the same. He doesn't have the same burst. He can just blow by guys anymore. And yeah, he's out. He's kind of out of it. He's not the same at all. Yeah. And, and and I guess you could clearly tell. Like, it shows. So, it, it, it is, uh, it's something where, I don't know. I feel like he's still an impact player. I think in the playoffs, you still wouldn't want to, like, I don't know. You, you, I still wouldn't want to play a Brooklyn team. I mean, with as good as Durant's been playing, I wouldn't want to touch Brooklyn at all. But, like, they seem kind of weak aside, outside of that. I mean, they've had injuries, too. Um, I mean, look at one of their better shooters, Joe Harris, out for the next month or so, right? You're looking at Patty Mills now to create a lot of offense for you. Like, it, it's, it's, it's not great in terms of getting additional um, scoring help. Yeah, that's a team that's, I'm just going to have to see. Yeah, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. Um, looking at the Knicks, we already talked about them a little bit. Uh, how do you feel about Julius Reynolds, the main guy? Just have to ask you. I mean, I've never been a huge fan. I think last year was a fan of the Mirage in terms of his shooting. But he's a weird player. Like, he's not your traditional four. He's more of a point forward. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if his shot's going in, then it's okay. But I don't know what to think about the Knicks. They're just – this starting lineup isn't good. And do you still think that with Kemba Walker out of it? Yeah, I don't think Kemba was the entire problem. I just think – I think it's been Randall, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean I, – Because you're trying to think- – like you move – um, you move Walker to further kind of mark the offense as Randall's, right? But like, okay, outside of one year, like you kind of know where this goes, you know, you know his game and it's not like he's driving like great offense. I just, I think you, you're better in the hands of Derrick Rose for that. Yeah, but you can't play Derrick Rose long and uh, quickly is not Exactly. So that. yeah, I'm, like I think the answer can be like, okay, yes, like, you want to make a change for Kim Walker. And also, yes, like playing the way we did last year is just going to get us exactly where we were last year, like a middling offense, uh, depending on how good the defense is. And then just a playoff series that like, we'd rather forget, you know, yeah, I, I just, just don't a, know. 
weird team. True, true, true. All right, so any, like, last kind of thoughts, nuggets around the league that you had any thoughts on on it before we uh, get going here? So let's just go over a couple of injury stuff that happened. Let's do it. Uh, Bam Adebayo is expected to miss six weeks. That UCL. Yeah. Um, Booker will be out for a few games because of the hamstring injury. Friday's rematch is probably no for him. Yeah. Uh, Lillard is going to be out at least 10 days with an abdominal injury. Wait, hot take real quick for that. Do you think where Portland is, with Lillard being out, less is going to be, right? Do they throw in the towel? Because it'll be reevaluated in 10 days. But like, I want them to. You kind of want them to? I don't know if they will. I just think it's interesting. I I don't know. I I just, everything's swelling around the front office in Neil O'Shea, looking at how they're playing as of right now, right? Um, Seeing that you've been playing with a very limited Damian Lillard. I mean, Russell Westbrook's actually still shooting better from three than Damian Lillard this year. Like, that's a legit stat. Now, mind you, on much less per game, but, like, that's still a legit stat. Like, Dame has not been himself. Taking 10 days before reevaluation, like, yeah, I think they're still good enough to beat the Detroits, you know, um, if they're playing a Houston, teams like that. But at the same time, I don't know. I think that it's still going to be a game a game that's a game that um, Portland has to play that's going to be kind of frustrating like they're going to play teams that are kind of in their range and and above and they're just going to get just lack of a better word money locked yeah and I think like what's even more concerning is like Jason Quick uh, talked about how it's been a constant injury that he's had for the past four seasons where um like, it hurt him during the Olympics. It's constantly bothering him, and he didn't look as good. And it's been a problem this year. And I think you just kind of have to worry, like, how much longer is this going to last? And mm-hmm. it's not like the Blazers have much to really go off with. Like, Anthony Simons will probably be the starter, um, and Dennis Smith will probably go to backup. But it just makes CJ McCollum be even more facilitator, but that's not really his game. So I don't think they're going to be that great. No, I don't either. I will say one thing, though, and I want to get your take on it. I've loved the way that Anthony Simons has played. I really want him on the Mavericks. Like, I was going to be like a trade target for like any team. I have really loved the play of Anthony Simons. Like he has been that guy. He's going to get just paid um, this season for sure or this offseason for sure. Um, right now, he's averaging 18 point or eight. No, he's averaging 18. No, he's averaging 12 points and two rounds per game. I'm sorry, I was reading his career averages of 18 minutes per game. But, like, he's been having a immediate impact on this team um, in a major way, playing the, the garden off-ball role. So, like I was saying, uh, 12 points per game, shooting 38% from three, uh, 2.2 assists, 2.8 rebounds, nothing that pops off the page in there. But if you're watching, like, the impact he's having, it, it, it's it's crazy. You know, he's going to get a lot more time here while um, Damian Lillard deals with that uh, abdominal injury. But at the same time, and I put this out on, on Twitter, I would like to see with him in restricted free agency and only a handful of teams able to really fork over some money, um, including teams like Orlando, San Antonio, um, just teams that are kind of rebuilding. I would like him in Orlando. And I said that, you know, uh, it would be an interesting kind of fit because, yes, Orlando has a glut of guards. I, I am well aware of this, and and 
and where they're kind of going because of course you still haven't had um mark mark Fultz play you know you still haven't had um I, you said Mark Fultz play. You still haven't had Mark Fultz play. You still haven't had like Suggs play kind of extended time again with him out with that thumb injury as well. Um, you still have RJ Hampton. Uh, you still have Cole Anthony who's playing well. But I feel like if you would put Anthony Simons in, let's say you trade Fultz, right? Um, come back for injury, twenty four, or doing a contract and not a great shooter, right? Then you're looking at Jalen Suggs, who's playing alongside him on the starting lineup. I think. Anthony Simons would be a great fit alongside him with Cole Anthony coming off the bench as a two guard and RJ Hampton playing more of a three. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Anthony Simons would be a good fit in a lot of places. He's just a solid guard who can shoot, drive, he's a solid facilitator at this point. And he's a great defender, at least. So he'll try. So hopefully, with Damian Lillard out, he gets a little more chance to show off, and maybe a team will try to trade for him, but he kind of has a big role on this Blazers team as a backup point guard right now. Wow. Yeah, I just – I mean, it's true. It's true, and I think he's important to them, and also Neil O'Shea has this thing about his guys, so you know that he'll be – it'll be hard for him to part with a player – Um It'll be hard for him to part with the player of his own. But then again, Neil O'Shea might not be a lock there. And if he's not, then all of a sudden, I don't know. Do you think Portland forks over? I still think they do. He's 22. He's a big part of what they do. And he has that um, the history of the organization having been there four years now. But I just think it's interesting, especially if a team really tries to break open the bank. And these other teams that are young and, you know, aren't going to get any of the marquee free agents but have money to burn, why not do it for a guy who could get a clearly defined role um, – being more of quote unquote that guy on a team that yeah isn't good right now but could be good. Yeah, I think they're probably going to use him as like trade bait for whatever star might be available to pair with Damian Lillard. But I don't know if that's a, that that's actually going to be available anytime soon. So yeah, Blazers. I think the thing that's really concerning with them is that their front court has been relatively healthy like Larry Nance, Robert Covington, Nurkic, and they're still really bad defensively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I don't know. It, it's, uh, Portland's defense, I think it's always been a problem. And like they weren't, when, and again, this is almost like Dallas. Like, I guess Portland hasn't really had the chance to make the moves. But then again, what moves have they made to like address these issues? Like Dallas had issues and like, yeah, they haven't really had an opportunity to make moves, but they also haven't really done a great job of actively trying to address issues. I feel like you could say the exact same thing here with the pulling troubles. I mean, yeah, it can't boil it down to just off season where you say, okay, we're going to bring in Cody Zeller and Tony Snell, who by the way, has actually been playing, you know, pretty well and other guys like that. Like, I'm not saying that it's Portland's fault just for this one off season, but like this has been a, a, a troubling trend for a couple of years now. I will say Dallas has also only had like three years. Uh, mm-hmm. Portland's had a while, so yeah, that is true too. It's a little worse. That that that's okay. definitely true as well. As a car outside beep, so excuse that as we're recording here. But um, yeah, I definitely agree with you on that for sure. It's I mean, they they got Larry Nance, they've had time. but huh? They got Larry Nance, but that, that is true. That is true. That is true. Uh, and, and Larry Nance, I'm like, I don't even put Larry Nance's. I think that they were being a lot more opportunistic with Larry Nance, if that makes any sense. Like, like that. it wasn't like they went out free agency or went for active trade. Like, they were involved in the trade and got him. I think Chicago could have had him and just didn't want to bring that extra money on. Um, and the fact they're able to 
uh, Portland, that is, that the fact they're able to rectify the issue of bringing on um, Derrick Jones Jr. and him not being good fit, the fact they're able to let go of him, who he's been playing well in Chicago, but also to kind of do that exchange. I don't, I think they kind of lucked into that more than I think they um, went out and did some great front office mastery, you know? Yeah. So that that's kind of where I'm at on that. But yeah, I agree, man. I, I think it'll be interesting to see how Portland is, where, if they fall, um, you know, what happens? How do we look at where Damian Lillard is? How we look at the front office? Like, they're a team I'll be monitoring much, um, much more closely over the next couple of weeks or next couple of games, that is, because next week we'll be right back at this again on a route. But uh, before we close, man, you have any uh, last little uh, stuff to talk about here? Do you want to briefly go over the 2022 draft? Yes, I know we were talking about this before. Yes, let's let's go into what well, let's start with I agree, but why are you not excited? Um, about these draft prospects like what have you kind of seen that that has kind of soured you on uh, the incoming uh, crop here in this next year's draft so first of all like this is a really big heavy draft and bigs are kind of falling out of fashion unless they're really special bigs and Mm -hmm. there are a couple that might have some talent so this draft doesn't really have too many guards that are excitable like there's no one here I would say is like a traditional number one pick that there's no Zion. There's no John Moran. There's no Cade Cunningham. There's no Evan Mobley. There's no like singular guy that I feel like could change a franchise right now. Um, I think there's a clear two best players right now in Paul Banchero and uh, Chet Holmgren, but both of those have some serious words like Chet. I don't know what his body is going to be like at this point. Like, is he, a much more skilled Poku, but uh Poku, you have the questions about his frame and Chet has a similar thing. Like Chet's tough, but his frame is always going to be a concern. Paolo, it's, he's an interesting prospect, but he's not like the same level as like what we saw from Jaw per se. So there aren't a lot of the people in this uh, draft class haven't been as strong, mm-hmm. but um, even if you go down, like some of these guys, like who's the best guard in this draft? Like Jalen Ivy, probably. Jaden Ivy. Jaden Ivy, yeah. Jaden Hardy. If you're a Jaden and you're in this draft, you might be going places. But yeah, you're yeah, right. Like but... all I hear is Paulo Banchero, Bancaro. Oh, I say Banchero. Paulo Bancaro and um. Chet Holgram, and I'm honestly not very high on Chet Holgram, but yeah, I mean, you're looking at Jaden Hardy and Jaden Ivey, and after that, what, Max Christie from Michigan State? Maybe uh, Marjan Washington, maybe? Like, it's it's not a great crop of guys. I will say this, I mean, uh, looking on some, some, he's like kind of in that kind of 15 to 20 slot, but looking at uh, some of these rankings here, shout out to Ron Harper Jr., Ooh, yeah, Ron Harper Jr. Shout out to Ron Harper Jr., uh, who's been compared uh, on one uh, draft site as a thicker Gary Trent. Uh, Three-point shooting, versatility, a nice catch-and-shoot player. Uh, I think that's kind of cool. Also, we are talking about draft. Just a little rant on draft comparisons. Yeah, let's get into it. Okay, so... I understand what draft comparisons are trying to do, but I think one of the worst things you can do is compare someone to a superstar or like a yes. player just because it puts a 
unrealistic expectations on them. So this one website I won't name, uh, <laughs> but here the current uh, comparisons: Paolo Banchero, Chris Weber, Blake Griffin. Yeah, no. Chet Holmgren, Dirk, Marcus Camby on defense. Wow. Jaden Ivey, Wayne Wade. Jaden Hardy, James Harden, and Ray Allen. Mm-hmm. And it's not just this draft. Like, I can go to any of the last couple of years' draft, and it's like the same thing where they'll compare a lot of these guys to superstars. And in general, the idea is like, hey, we just want to kind of show what you can envision. Like, someone compared Jalen Green to Kobe. Like, no, Yo, no, 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 no. That's like, not, absolutely not. That. Absolutely not. Wow, really? Yeah. I'm glad. I mean, I'm looking at Jaden Hardy now, and the comparison I see for one is James Harden, like you said. Jaden Ivey, comparison I see is Josh Richardson, okay, plus with some shades of Dwayne Wade. That's reasonable, right? Yeah, it's not bad. Max like, Christie. James Wiseman. David Robinson. Yeah, that's that's wild. That's wild. But also, uh, this should tell you the, at least the class of the draft. It might do. This is one uh, draft site which I also won't name. But you have uh, they have their shooting guards ranked right, and Max Christie is their third ranked shooting guard. You're talking about how uh, you know draft boards and stuff. I mean, I'm glad that I surround myself with really good, like knowledgeable, not only just friends but draft folks who have much more reasonable kind of comparisons. But like sometimes you run to the wilder side of the NBA draft world. And this just shows you the strength of the draft that with this site that is comparing all these players to superstars, the best comparison they can come up for the third ranked shooting guard coming to this draft is Jeremy Lamb and Rashad Vaughn. Yeah. Close the door, Ooh, guys. The 2023 draft looks fun. The 2023? Yeah. I haven't even looked into that yet. Is... For anyone who hasn't seen any clips of uh, Victor Wembanyama, look him up. Dude is a beast. Okay, he looks awesome. He's a he's a he's a new age big, basically like it's gonna sound concerning when I say it, but like prime Porzingis, like New York Porzingis. That does sound a little bit concerning, but also intriguing. But yeah, so like. But he doesn't have that like same body. He he has a much better like brain to him. Mm-hmm. He looks like he'll actually hold up. He has a really nice jumper. He's a great rim protector. But the guy that's like recently breaking out is Scoot Henderson, who plays for the G League Ignite. And right now he's a backup for them. But he just scored like 33 points. He's a beast. Wow. I gotta look okay. And then that's also the draft that has Money Bates and Amani isn't there was all that hype about him being the next Kevin Durant and at Memphis he's he's not that great. Like they're they're playing that point. It's a weird position for him. Yeah, no, he hasn't been. I yeah, he, he hasn't really I don't know. Again, a lot of how much you attribute to him just not being the guy and how much you attribute to him being out of position. Cause those are kind of not, you know, those can be two different things for sure. Yeah. But yeah, this this upcoming draft is there's some intriguing players, but there's no like superstar to latch everything on right yet, at least. Maybe Chet and Paulo can break out and become that guy, but at least right now, I don't see any signs of 
like some franchise changing player. No, I have to agree with that. I agree completely. And I'm, what I'm going to do is um, next time we meet by next week, I'm going to look at a little more of these guys in depth. I think we should come up with our what we've liked and not liked from some, some of the draft as we kind of see it evolve. And then our favorite comparisons. Sounds good. I think that'd be fun, man. But hey, Anarud, thank you again for coming on, just talking about, you know, the league with me. I appreciate that. Every week we get this in. Try to do it on Tuesday. Uh, this is on me. When y'all listen to us on Thursday, I, 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 like I said, Sons of the Warriors, the watch party was just legendary. I didn't get not back in time. And the day before, I, I don't even know. I just dropped the ball. But we are here every week. You haven't missed one. Well, you did miss one, but you won't miss another. Um, and Anarud, I just appreciate you being a part of that. And, and thank you for sharing and giving us some of your time here. Happy to be here. Awesome, man, for sure. Uh, you can check out Anarud on this show every week, so definitely make sure to uh, tune in here to get his takes uh, and how he looks at the league. Uh, definitely insightful, entertaining, and always, always Dallas Maverick-centric. You can find me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. This is Sports Ethos Presentations. So check out Sports Ethos on Twitter at Sports Ethos. Pretty simple. S-P-O-R-T-S-E-T-H-O-S online sports ethos.com for honor rude for myself we are frosty y'all stay frosty and i will talk to y'all tomorrow This has been a Sports Ethos presentation.